isn't it wonderful to have that kind of longevity and history with a family that literally 40 years ago were sitting here in the pews, not here in this building, we weren't even in this building 40 years ago, and has since gone to uh, basically three different places, uh, Zaire, now Congo, and then France, and then Ivory Coast. They're in between their stops and other places, but that's their mission's history. 43 years ago, I met Randy when he was on my dorm wing at ORU. And he was the quiet guy at the end of the hall that nobody ever really knew because he was either always studying or he was always with Deanna, to whom he was close to being engaged to at that point, if not already. And uh, it's interesting that in the years since, I feel like I've gotten to know Randy better. And my esteem for this brother, as well as for his wonderful wife, has only risen in those years, in these times that they've come home to visit with us. So we really have a great privilege this morning to have one of our own missionaries help kick off our 2017 missions conference. Let's warmly greet Dr. Randy Harrison. Who are those guys? I don't recognize them. Oh, boy. Lots of memories. What a privilege. What a privilege to be back here again. Uh, you guys have been faithful for those 40 years as well. I tried to figure out how much you've given to us over the years. I think I'd be rich if I had all, all of it together today. Um, it's really something, and we struggle to be worthy of your support both in prayers and finances. Uh, we know that some of you will probably sacrifice more than we do uh, to be able to do that. Uh, am I got two mics working for me? Do I need to move this one out of the way? Okay. This morning I want to talk about preparing the way. And uh, we're going to read a passage and I want to talk about this. This is this is going to be a, a real sermon, you know, because I'm, I'm going to actually have three points that are alliterated. I'm going to talk about proclamation, purpose, and promise in this passage in Luke chapter three, uh, verse. I'm going to start with in the middle of chapter two because I don't think you need to know the first part of it, at least not now. I'm reading from the ESV because the last church I was in, I forgot my Bible, and it was an NIV. I, I'm told that it's being mailed to me, uh, but I don't know when it's going to catch up to me. And uh, we were at the, a Baptist church, and they gave me uh, this ESV, and it's really a pretty Bible, so I'm, gonna, I'm not used to the ESV, but I think it's pretty good, so we'll, we'll read this. If it gets wrong, I'll, I'll tell you what it is in the Greek, and we'll go from there, okay? Uh, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled 
and every mountain and hill shall be laid low, made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a chapter I, I, I've, I've worked a lot on, and this morning I want to talk about John's proclamation, Jesus' proclamation, and, and a couple of other items. You cannot read this passage in John without realizing that one of the essential elements of proclaiming the gospel is repentance. We learned that early here at TCF. Chuck Farah, uh, one of the founding faster, pastors, uh, really honed in on that point. Uh, that we need to, in the proclamation of the gospel, we needed to talk about repentance. You don't necessarily need to use the word repentance, but you need to talk about the concept. All right, this is a picture of a typical road in tropical Africa. I, I think this one's from the Congo. Uh, I can't remember. But uh, when we're thinking about preparing a way, I like to think of a way that's not too easy. You know, uh, you're, you can get stuck there, you can get in the ruts, you can get in uh, the mud and slide around, and it's not easy to go forward. Preparing the way for the Lord. The text is reminiscent of the idea of a king is coming. We know that he is coming, and it's up to us to prepare the way for this king. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for the king by his message of repentance. He preached, he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is uh, an, uh, an engraving in uh, the ancient Near East, and we have, uh, I believe this is Tiglath-Pileser, an Assyrian king who's traveling, and so that's the mode of travel at, at that point. Uh, this was uh, some seven centuries before, uh, no, sorry, I'm going to get that wrong. I'm a New Testament professor, not Old Testament, so I, I'm all right to get that one wrong. But um, travel was not easy. Uh, we're not talking about a, a four-lane highway. We're talking about uh, a path that needs to be prepared so that you can, you can make your way better along the way. And John was trying to prepare this path so that, that when the king comes, what he had to do would be uh, effective uh, and, and people would turn to the king and obey the king. Basically, what he was saying by his repentance is, you're going the wrong way. Now, I kind of superimposed this picture on there. Uh, you're going the wrong way. And you need to go a different way. And that's a picture of repentance. I say this because I grew up in a church. I got baptized in a church. I became a member of a church without ever knowing the Lord Jesus. And that was because I had never realized I needed to come to Christ and give my life to Christ. I just did what they told me to do in church. And so whenever I'm in churches, I always like to talk about this. I like to bring it up in case there's somebody like that, like me, that just did what they told them to do in church. 
but never turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't expect to find people like that here, but I never know. You know, you never know who's going to be there, you know. But I gave my life to Christ after seeing a miracle. I tell about the miracle in my book. Uh, after seeing a miracle, I, the Holy Spirit just began to deal with me and lead me into a prayer of repentance. The Holy Spirit showed me that I was living my life to please me, doing what I wanted, and that I needed to give my life to Jesus. And he led me to this prayer where I said, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Whatever you want me to say, I will say. I was going the wrong way. The Holy Spirit got a hold of me to go the right way in following Jesus. In the New Testament, we have a couple of summaries of the proclamation of the gospel. One of them is preaching the good news of the kingdom. You find that in Luke 4.43. Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Another one is stresses the condition for benefiting from that kingdom. And that is that Jesus went about preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have a desperate need for this. I've shown you this picture before, but I'll, I'll bring it up again to just underline this point. This is one of the churches I preached in, and I just told them about repentance and what it means to turn your life over to Jesus and come to him. And these are the people up in the front row there. Those are all the young people in that church who had not given their lives to Jesus. And they needed that message to, to, to know that they needed to consciously turn to Jesus and give your life to him. You can't have a new life unless you're willing to give up the old life. I'm going to skip from that and talk about other aspects of proclamation. Now, this is not a, an in-depth teaching. I'm just going to talk about some concepts that you find in the New Testament and then give a few illustrations. The first one is that Jesus, we are told, was powerful in word and in deed. And there's, I feel like there's two parts to proclamation. One is sharing the word, sharing the teachings of Jesus, sharing the good news of the kingdom. Now, we have, over the, over the last few decades, come used to think, become used to thinking that that means share the four spiritual laws. Um, four spiritual laws has been a tremendous tool for bringing a lot of people to Christ. But it's a little bit truncated. It just doesn't have enough for, uh, the, to do what it needs to do, to te preach the good news of the kingdom. There is so much in the good news of the kingdom that Jesus preached, that Jesus shared. Um, in uh, one, of our, uh, one of my courses, I was uh, having to prepare something f about uh, the synoptic problem. And I thought, I didn't even like studying that when I was in college. You know, why am I going to teach that now? And as I began to study this synoptic problem of, you know, why do we have these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're almost alike, but then there's these differences. 
And you're going to say to me, well, that's because there was three, pe three people writing it. Or you're going to say that the Holy Spirit just, uh, you know, helped them write it differently in each one. Okay, well, that's, that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is a lot more complicated. And as I began to study this, I was, I was looking at uh, how was the gospel shared? How was it presented before those gospels were written? Because they, uh, it seems like the gospels were probably not written before uh, 70 A.D., and Jesus died in, what, 33 A.D., around that, uh, around that era. So how, for those 30 years, how was the gospel shared? And mostly the conclusion is it was oral. It was one person telling another person about Jesus, about the stories of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And the early church was very proficient at sharing things orally. Otherwise, we would not have our New Testament today. We would not have the Gospels if they weren't able to do that. Today, if we were to take this Bible and put it someplace else and then tell, tell us, okay, now go share about Jesus, we, we would be at a great lack for being able to do that. And one of the things that we're learning is that um, it was great to teach people to read, translate the Bible, and give them Bibles to studies. But we missed out on some of the more powerful means of communication in a oral world. And even our, here in the United States, people are becoming much more oral and less, uh, less connected with the written word. Now, I don't think that's a good thing, but I, I do believe we need to capitalize on this oral communication. I have trouble saying the word oral, but... Anyway, we'll get it out somehow. Um, this communication, uh, there's a couple of studies that have been done. One was by Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey uh, studied some, uh, some groups in the Near East. He was a professor of Semitic languages, and he was studying how they transmitted uh, their traditions of their village uh, to one another. And they would have these meetings, and they would just tell stories. They would tell stories about what happened uh, in, in their tribe or in their, in their people group. And the, the, the people in the group would listen to it and correct them. If anybody got something wrong, they would correct them and tell them, no, no, it wasn't that way. It was this way. And in the New Testament, we have uh, in Acts chapter 2, I believe it's verse 42, that... The people who came to Christ in the early days devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what did the apostles teach? I don't think they were doing systematic theology at that point. They were sharing the stories about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus that they had learned while they were with him, for the most part. And obviously, they had come to some conclusions about Christ and who he was through some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they began to preach on that. And you can see that preaching in the book of Acts. But they were sharing as well these stories about Jesus. In missions, people have picked up on this kind of storytelling and have began to share things uh, in stories. Deanna does this all the time. She's a lot better at this than I am. She'll get in a taxi and just start telling 
a, one of the stories about Jesus. You say, do you, you want to hear a story? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear a story. And you start telling the story about Jesus. Well, we did a training at our seminary in storytelling. And uh, we participated in the training. And then we had other professors and students that are participating in the training. And then we, we had homework assignments to go out and, and share. One of the things, we were supposed to tell a story. The, the guy on the left, his name is Baya. He uh, is Muslim background, and he, he works for us. He's a night guard. And so they told us we had to tell one of the, our homework was to tell a story. So I went and talked to Baya, and our story uh, was the um, calming of the sea. Jesus calms the sea. So I told him this story, and then I, I started asking questions about his understanding of the story and if he could... Could he tell the story? And he said, no, no, I don't think I can tell the story. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the story again, and then you tell me if you think you can tell the story after I tell it again. So I told it a second time, and he thought maybe he could tell it. And I asked him some questions, and I said, what do you think we need to learn from this? And he says, it looks like we need to learn to put our trust in Jesus. And he was serious. And here, you know, I, this guy's been working me, for me for quite a while. I'm a terrible evangelist. My, if you want to meet an evangelist, meet my son. Uh, but I, I, I'm just not that good at it. I've led some people to the Lord in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful for, for that. But uh, mostly I just teach. And so Baya, he says, you need to put your trust in Jesus. I said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Would you like to put your trust in Jesus? He says, no, I'm not ready for that. Uh, another missionary colleague came a few weeks later and uh, talked with him, and a better evangelist than I, he, he, let, he led him in a prayer to put his trust in Jesus. We're still praying for him, but uh, I, I, I believe if he's not a Christian, he's on his way. And uh, so that's, that's Baya. Well, Deanna uh, talked to this woman. Now, we've been calling her Brigitte because uh, we didn't, want to put her real name in there, but she's also was a Muslim, and she was a squatter. Uh, you know, we're, we're living in a fairly nice neighborhood, but there's also uh, buildings and different things around that are inhabited, and so they're all inhabited by squatters, which squatters also pay rent. Um, they have to pay a little bit of money to squat. Um, and uh, Brigitte, that's right, that's what you say, isn't it? Brigitte? Okay. Brigitte... Uh, uh, Deanna shared the, was it the same story or a different story? Same story, what? Okay, shared story with her. And several other people shared, shared stories with her, and she has since come to Christ as well. And has started going to our church, and that's, uh, um, is that her brother or her neighbor? That's her neighbor. That's her neighbor, and he's going to church now, and her brother is also coming to church. And um, so this is all just through telling stories. You'd be surprised how much people want to hear stories. And that's what they did in the early church, was just tell the stories about Jesus. Another author uh, by the name of, and I'm not sure I pronounce it right, Birger Gerhardson, is, uh, did a study on rabbis and how rabbis in the first few centuries um, would teach their disciples. Now, there, this, this is dated a little bit past the time of Jesus. It's uh, probably 3rd century or around that, that that we actually have this information. But the information is probably relevant to how Jesus taught as well. And Jesus, you know, was called rabbi at the time. And uh, 
And basically, there was just a lot of repetition. Going over it and over it and over it, asking the people to repeat it. And the object was to get the people to memorize, to be able to give back what the, the teacher was teaching. I mean, we have something we call the Sermon on the Mount, but it was probably teachings that Jesus taught in this, in this manner. And that's why we can have a more accurate picture of what Jesus taught, because they actually taught them to memorize what they were teaching. Um, I, won't, I won't try to do that, because I'm not very good at being an oral teacher. I need my notes in front of me. Um, but what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, we've already uh, started students in this storytelling, which they are much better at than we are, because they've been doing that all their lives. And then I'm hoping in the near future to get them to start memorizing, having programs of memorization. Because I think the teachings of Jesus would be uh, much more effective than actually trying to teach them uh, Paul's letters. Although I, I think they're, they're both necessary. Uh, but we're in, in the type of culture we're living in. It's these stories and these teachings that can be powerful. Proclamation is powerful in word, but it's also powerful in deed. And this is something I've spent a lot of my career working on. Our churches need a full gospel. That's a, that's a term you've heard before. Uh, it, it was popularized many, many years ago, full gospel. That Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel with words, but he proclaimed it with actions and basically acts of power. Powerful acts that should accompany the gospel. We heard about one this morning. And you all believe in that. But what I see in the scriptures and what I see in my own experience is that these powerful acts accompany proclamation of the word when we're looking for it when we're expecting it, when we're praying for it. And oftentimes, most of our prayers for God's deliverance, God's healings, God, these powerful acts that we see in the Scriptures, most of our prayers are directed for people around us, people that already know Christ. And we do see God answer our prayers. But what I've seen in my own experience and what I see in the Scripture is that a lot more acts of power occur in context with proclamation of the word. And that these, uh, this proclamation by deed would confirm the proclamation by the word, and that's what brought, brings more people to Christ. I'm not saying it's going to be 100% effective. When I saw the miracle that led me to Christ, there were probably a dozen or so of us who came to Christ on in that evening but I knew other people who were there who saw the same miracle who just said no I'm not ready to give my life to Christ I don't want to do that I mean they I, I remember talking with one girl and saying how, how can you deny this this is God no no other explanation God did this why won't you give your life to Christ she says I know it's God but I'm not ready for that I couldn't believe it but that's, that's, that was the answer. But yet, that miracle 
that I saw and that others saw and that was uh, told over and over and over, I, I have no idea how many hundreds of people came to Christ from that one miracle. And the people that I talked to uh, in, in Africa and also often here as well, you know, we, we have a lot of people that come to Christ just through a testimony, just through hearing somebody, knowing Christians, having a relationship with Christians, and you see that they're different from other people. That's, that's because we're, we're in Christian contexts. But people who don't grow up in Christian contexts often need more. Most of the Muslims that I have known who have come to Christ, most of the people who come out of animist religions who've come to Christ, most of them, somewhere in their testimony, there's a miracle. Somewhere in their testimony, there's a deliverance. Somewhere in their testimony, there's a dream. There's some type of manifestation of the power of God that helps them to believe. And... Um, so this has been one of my burdens for, for years. I, I started teaching a course in exegesis and, and preparing stuff out of Luke and Acts from, from my research to uh, uh, studies on interpreting some of these more difficult things to interpret in Luke and Acts, some of these expressions, baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, uh, and all the other expressions used by Luke to, to, to talk about this as a kind of um, springboard to have also have the students discussing these things and the necessity of seeing the power of Christ in our actions as well as in our words and put, putting the two together. And so I, and, uh, since, since publishing the book, I've, I've also published it in, in French, and uh, I, I get a lot of... Uh, we're starting to do seminars, and one of the seminars... I, I'm forgetting to go on these things... One of the seminars, we went to Burkina Faso and came back to, uh, to this family. Uh, I told you about this family before. This is Pascal and Elizabeth. And I was working with some Campus Crusade uh, disciples, students, university students, and they don't typically talk about uh, powerful manifestations of the Spirit in Campus Crusade training. Uh, but these, these young men were extremely dedicated and going out at least once a month, they would go door-to-door -door in the neighborhood and preach the gospel, tell people about Christ, and invite them to church. Well, after I'd shared with them some about this, this idea that, we need to ha that the proclamation of the word needs to be accompanied with, uh, with proclamation by powerful acts as well, um, I said, I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you, next time you go and you start praying for people, I mean, sorry, proclaiming the word and teaching them about the gospel, ask them if they have any prayer requests and pray for them. I told this story before, but they asked Pascal and Elizabeth if they had any prayer requests, and Elizabeth had pain in her feet, and she hadn't been able to walk really for, for quite a while, and Pascal needed a job, so they prayed for them right there. And the next day, uh, Elizabeth had no more pain in her feet. That week, Pascal got a job. That Sunday, they were in our church. Um, then just recently I went back and the pastor of that church now, a, there's another pastor there and he said, we just recently had something else. So there was, we went and, and preached the gospel and, and prayed for someone to receive healing. This, and this woman was, was healed. And again, more people were brought into the church. 
It's not the only way people come to Christ, but it's a, a, a huge factor in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, and a huge factor still today. Um, this I, I'm not going to give you names here, but people who know us, they know who we're talking about. But since this is recorded and you send it out so far, I'm not going to give names. But there's a missionary that doesn't call himself a missionary who was on this boat and carrying their stuff to go live on, uh, in a Muslim area. And all of a sudden, there was this woman who started uh, thrashing around on the, on the floor of, of, the, of the boat. And so uh, the missionary asked, uh, what's, what's, what's the problem? What's happening? And one guy said, well, this woman has a demon, and she's demon-possessed, and they're, they're, they're trying to, to help her. And so he said, well, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus, the prophet Jesus, and if you would like, I could pray for her because Jesus can heal people and can deliver people from demon possession. So the, this, this man went over and talked it over with uh, a few leaders there, the imam and so forth. Uh, shall we let this, this uh, person pray for her in the name of Jesus? And so they finally decided yes. So he went over there and prayed for her in the name of Jesus, and immediately she went calm. And the imam asked her, is the demon gone? And she said, yes, the demon's gone. Well, nothing happened more after that except when they, they got to where they were going and started to live there and uh, so forth, they would get other people who heard about the story come. And apparently this is a big problem in this area of people who are possessed by demons and, and they, they, they need help. And so they would call, can you come and pray for my daughter or for this person? And so um, several others were delivered from demon possession, and then there were others that were healed, and this started a movement. Um, started having Bible studies, sharing different Bible studies all the way from the creation to, to Jesus. And just recently, they had um, where they were studying the life the, of Jesus, and they came to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And after that, they shared about, you know, Jesus' call to, to baptize. And just recently, there were over 100 people who were in more than 50 different groups of people studying the Bible who were baptized. That's all from this. What opened their eyes was seeing what Jesus could do. So proclamation needs to not only be with word, but with powerful acts. Purpose. I told you I had, had this alliteration I've got to do. Okay. Proclamation, now we get to purpose. John had a purpose and a destiny. John the Baptist, his purpose was to prepare the way for Christ. And the way he did it was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I believe, I strongly believe, that we all have a purpose and a destiny. Each one of us. And we need to know that. John knew his. 
John knew what his purpose was. And he fulfilled that purpose. And not only that, he, he passed it on to others. If you look at, at the disciples in Acts chapter 2, they're, they're using some of the terminology and, and the, the same baptismal image to help new disciples. John's purpose was to preach to, to the proclamation. Let me see what else. That was another example I was going to give, but I decided to pass it up. How can you prepare the way for the coming king? That's a question I can't answer for you. How you can prepare. Now, um, in missions, they tell us to give you three words. Pray, give, go. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to pray. There are people in this church who would be much better than I would to tell you how to pray. Ask Carl Eason. He, he can teach you how to pray if you want. Uh, there are others here who are so faithful in prayer and pray for us and pray for many others. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to try to teach you how to pray. I just know that's one way of um, one way of preparing the way for the coming king is through prayer, and it's a very important way. I can't really talk to you about giving. Um, as far as I know, of all the churches I visit, the percentage of your income, your church income that goes to missions, is higher in this church than any other church I've been in. Um, you're faithful givers. Okay, I'm patting you on the back. You're, you're doing a good job. That doesn't mean you can't do better. Uh, you know, you have to follow the Lord. But we are very grateful for what you do. And there are a lot of other grateful, grateful people for what you do. I don't like to, to end it with go. Because go sounds like that's for a few people. That's for crazy idiots like my wife and I. Who have raised our children such that they feel so uncomfortable doing anything else. That they have to go back to Africa and do the same. Um, they, they actually don't feel very comfortable here in the United States. You know, it just doesn't fit. And they have to have to go back there to feel like they fit in. Um, uh, in fact, when we were, when I was getting my master's at Asbury, and we were there for two years instead of one year home assignment, uh, while I was getting my master's, my son came to me. He said, Dad, you've got to go back to Africa. You cannot raise Rachel in this country. You've got to go back to Africa. What do you want her to do? You know, what, do you want her to be like all the others? Well, I don't think that was a very nice thing for him to say, but there was some, some truth in that. Um, so I don't like to use the word go. Because that sounds like there's just a few people that do that. Let me see, what the, what's the word I chose here? Get involved. Get involved. Praying and giving are ways to get involved. But there are more personal ways to getting involved. Get involved with your unique 
contribution for preparing the way for Jesus. I say unique because every one of you has different gifts, capacities, things that God has placed in your life that he wants to use for you to prepare the way for the coming king. Get involved with your unique contribution. I'm going to give you an example. Try to give you an example to help. Because you say, what is my contribution? What is unique about me? Uh, Before we were going to get married, you know, that you saw that young couple up there that looked like they might have been 16 or so. We were actually in our 20s. Um, um, Before we were to get married, most of our friends had already gotten married a few years before us. Got married real young. And all of the friends that we knew had financial problems, and it was causing problems in their marriages. And so Deanna and I said, well, we don't want to have the same problems. So why don't we study the scriptures to see what God says about finances? And if we follow that, then we shouldn't have the same problems as, as, as our friends have had. So we started reading. We read all the way through the Proverbs, because we thought that talks a lot about money. We read all the way through the Psalms. We read all the way through the New Testament. And we read it thinking, what is God saying about finances? And we wrote down these verses and wrote down all our thoughts on it. I didn't make it into a book because it's not that great. But it was for us that my point is no one else can read the scriptures through your eyes. Only you can read the scripture through your eyes for your situation, for what God has called you to do. And so we needed, you know, Dave Ramsey wasn't around. But we could have found somebody that, you know, had good teaching on finance. But I don't think it would have been near as effective as our personal seeking God through the scriptures and through prayer to find out his will for us. Reading through all that, praying together, seeking God's wisdom. Anything that is important in your life something that's extremely important in your life, you need to seek God and not just ask Bill. Bill's got a lot of wisdom, great friend. But he can't know God's will for you. And something that's very important for you, like knowing what's your contribution for the coming king, for preparing the way for the coming king, what is your unique contribution that you're able to do Needs some time. Needs a lot of seeking. Seeking God in the scriptures and seeking God in prayer. For some people, it comes easy. Some people, it just, you know, it just pops out at them and they, they know. Other people, they, they're going to need to seek more. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Get involved. Some of you are already doing it. Maybe all of you. I don't know. Uh, gosh, I'm... I'm, I'm embarrassed when I try to, you know, reach back in the hard drive back there. It's no longer on the RAM memory of everybody's name. 
you know, in this church, because you all know me, and I'm supposed to know all of you, um, and I, re- I can recognize the face sometimes, and the, except it's a little grayer and a little more wrinkles or something, but, um, uh, and I'm supposed to remember everybody's name. So um, I, can't, I can't know you and know what God wants for you, but God knows you, and you have to seek him. Well, I said I had one more promise. There's a promise here. And it's in verse 6. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is coming. It's going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to reign. And those who are prepared are going to reign with him. We're going to be with him. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew tells us in chapter uh, 24, verse 14. It's going to happen. For a limited time only. You like those sales? For a limited time only. We have this opportunity to get involved in the most exciting and most important mission of all time, preparing the way for the coming king. Okay. When you got a road like that, how are you going to prepare? Well, oh, excuse me. That's the promise. I, I try to pit find a pic- picture that would represent this promise of, of his Christ coming that everybody's going to see. You know, we're all going to see God's salvation. So that's some of the Swiss Alps. I took that picture myself. I just thought that was kind of pretty. So you got that one. Oftentimes we think to make a difference, we're going to need a road grader to change, to make a difference. We're going to need something spectacular, something fantastic that's going to make a big change and going to help bring back the king. But in the Congo, they tell me stories about this. I never saw it actually happen. But in the Congo, Zaire, when I was there, they told me stories about dignitaries, you know, the president or somebody else, would come into the region, and you could not let the president, uh, excuse me, you know, drive on a road like that. That would just be, uh, that would be shameful to allow somebody important like the president of the country come in on a road like this. He might get stuck there. So what they would do is they would call out the entire population. And the entire population would get their hose. Now this, I know this is not a hoe, but I tried to get something that looks similar to a hoe in, uh, in Africa. A hoe in Africa is much smaller with a shorter handle and doesn't have these little three prongs at the back. Um, we actually bought one, and we were supposed to bring it home, but we left it and forgot to put it in our luggage. But anyway, so you just have to imagine this is an African hoe. And the Africans, they do their work like this, completely bent over from the waist. You know, we take a longer hoe with a big stick, and then we don't have to hurt our backs and so forth. But their backs are stronger, so they, they do it like this. And 
It's amazing. You know, one person with a hoe like this can't do very much. But you get the entire population out there with hoes, and they can actually level out the road. They can actually prepare for the coming king. We don't need a few superstars. We need everybody. You, me, our kids, our neighbors, every person who calls Jesus Lord to find out and accomplish their ministry, the good works that God has prepared for you in advance that we should do them, Ephesians 2.10. Each person seeking God to know what's my contribution. How am I going to help prepare the way for the coming king? God bless you.